Welcome into the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and on today's episode, we're going to be discussing is college football better off with NIL and the transfer portal. I'm going to have more on that here in just a second. Welcome to the Flat Rock Sports Podcast, your daily source for all things college football. And now your host, Christian Hunt. Welcome into the show today, guys. Like I said at the top of the broadcast, we have a great one lined up for you. Now, one of the things we're going to be looking at here with the NIL as well as the transfer portal is we're going to be looking at some of the pros and some of the cons. I'm going to give you my thoughts and my feedback on it, but I want to just lay everything out. That way, you guys can decide for yourself whether it's be- whether we are better off in college football with it. Now, one of the big points that we get to look at here is for pros. Players are finally going to get paid for their hard work on and off the field. I think that's a great thing because when you look at it, if a guy shows up to college and maybe he's not always uh, cracked up to be and they go out and they recruit somebody else, well, at least he's going to get compensated, right? Same thing. If an athlete goes out there and gets hurt and then they bring somebody else in, well, at least he's still going to get paid. Now, that helps for both situations, I think, in the transfer portal as well as the NIL side of things. When we're also looking at this, one of the other things that I thought was interesting, if you look at the percentage of professional athletes, specifically NFL players, right, that go broke after their playing careers are done, it's a staggering number. I think the only way that you're going to see this decrease is if we start paying college athletes like we already have, right? Kids are going to start understanding, hey, I'm making maybe a hundred or two hundred or whatever thousand dollars in college. And maybe I blew all my money. By the time I get to the NFL, I've already understood how to sort of mitigate some of those things, right? I think that's going to cut down on that number of athletes that go broke after they're done playing. Now, when we also look at this, it's going to change. It's going to change recruiting for the better, in my opinion. Look, it's no secret if you want to win a championship, you got to do two things. Number one, you got to recruit like nobody else's business, and number two, you got to manage that talent that you've got, and you got to keep them at your program long enough to be able to uh, capitalize off that. So I think, and we're already seeing that as far as recruiting is concerned. Go look at the recruiting rankings right now, and we'll get into some more of those recruiting rankings a little bit later on in the show. Now, here's the other thing that I like about this: athletes that are not locked into, they're not locked into a bad situation or a change of landscape as far as their situation goes. Right? Let's look at it this way. Let's say you sign on to do a job, and after a couple of months, you realize, man. This is not what I thought it was going to be. So then you probably are evaluating other job opportunities, doing other things like that, right? But then their job says, yeah, you can't really leave. Well, I think the transfer portal kind of helps alleviate those situations. Now, there's some cons there as well, right? Part of the cons is it's kind of created a free agency-like feel for college athletes. It kind of feels to me like the NFL where we have this free agency period and guys are pretty much playing for contracts now, right? You know, here's the other side of this too, as far as the cons are all this are concerned. You know, we could start seeing high school athletes holding out of games, reclassifying, doing more of this stuff to mimic what the college game is doing, right? And that could be pretty bad, I think, for the sport as a whole. We don't want to set a precedent of telling kids, hey, it's okay if you hold out of these bigger games earlier on, right? Now let's take a look at this. I think that also bleeds into more athletes holding out of bowl games, which lessens the importance of the bowl game, right? Traditionally, and traditionalists in college football, they really like the bowl games. I'm kind of indifferent on it. 
But I think that when you look at it, if you want to start making these bowl games mean more, which a lot of it just seems like it's a sponsorship anyways, you got to have better, you got to have the best athletes on the field. I think this is one way we could start seeing guys say, you know, I'm going to make money, more money in the NFL. I want to hold back and I don't want to play in this game and risk getting hurt. You know, here's the other thing. It's going to be, it's really difficult to keep track of all the movement in the transfer portal and all the goings on in college football. I think, like I said, how how do we look at this going forward? Well, what we have to do is we need to allow schools to openly pay athletes, okay? Sounds crazy. It sounds, it does sound crazy, but I'm going to tell you right now, let them pay the athletes because they're doing it anyways. They're going behind the backs of all these guys and they're paying them through boosters and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever have you. It's just not a good look. With that being said, here's what I propose. I propose, and a lot of college coaches and administrators are proposing this. I propose that we allow the transfer portal. We allow athletes to transfer, but we allow them to transfer specifically with inside of one window. Okay, it's a two-week window. It probably will kick off about a week after the national championship game concludes. You can do your visits. You can talk to coaches. You can do whatever you want, but you have two weeks to get that done. That would be great because that would allow athletes to pretty much move on before spring ball, whatever have you. And it allows everybody to sort of have a fair shake at this, right? They get a one-time, and it's a one-time only transfer rule where they can transfer and play immediately. If, for whatever reason, an, athletes decide, an athlete decides to transfer for a second time, then, okay, now we need to look at maybe, hey, they don't need, you know, if they want to transfer a second time or they want to transfer outside of that window, then they have to, they risk losing a year of eligibility, right? I think that would help you know, ease a lot more of this sort of free agency-like feel to it. Now, what is college football, you know, this is a question that I ask myself a lot. What is college football going to look like five years from now? Are we going to have super conferences, right, as they as they say? Are we going to have two? I don't know if we're necessarily going to have two super conferences. I think the Power Five condenses into the Power Four at the FBS level, and this is what it's going to look like. You're going to have the SEC, you're going to have the Big Ten, you're going to have the ACC, and you're, then you're going to have a combination, sort of a mix and match of the Pac-12 slash Big 12. Of those two conferences, I kind of see the Big 12 surviving over the Pac-12, just because it seems like, obviously, they've had a little more time. They've had some contingency play, you know, contingencies and things like that in place. You got to look at who they're adding. Right now, the Pac-12 sort of seems like they're just trying to sort of keep everything in line with Oregon and Washington and some of these other teams. I don't know if that's going to be the case five years from now, though, right? Now, the other thing is, I think we're going to see $10 million players is going to be a normality for this, right? You're going to see $10 million players, and it's going to be a a very interesting thing. We're already seeing that right now, supposedly, right now. Nobody's going to confirm or deny this. And that ties back into what I talked about a little bit earlier with just openly paying players and just being okay with it. Now, here's what I would like to suggest for the openly paying players, too. I'll kind of expand upon that just a bit. I think what should happen is whenever you sign, when you actually sign with a school, you enter into a one-year contract with that school. That contract can have incentives, bonuses, whatever have you tied into it. So if your team makes the playoff, you play a certain amount of snaps, you put up a certain percentage of yardage or whatever have you, you get paid a percentage more or whatever have you. I think that would be good, but it but you can only sign a one-year contract with them. You can't do two or anything like that. It's in 
at the end of that year, you can either renew uh, or re-up for another contract, or you can choose to pretty much go and do it. But you take it year by year is pretty much the concept of what I would be uh, proposing. Right. But again, like going back to the $10 million players, look at that. You you know, quarterback Arch Manning, right? We've talked about him on the show a little bit. I guarantee you, now the numbers haven't been disclosed or anything like that, but I guarantee you that kid's going to probably sign about for about 10 mil. Then there's a quarterback that just committed to Miami and Jaden Rashada. That kid allegedly got offered $10 million. Now, is that bad? Because you got to think about it from this standpoint. You know, do we want to see? Right. Do we want to see Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and UCLA or not UCLA, but, you know, some of these teams, uh, Ohio State. Right. We want to see those teams competing in the playoff every single year. No, I mean, it's again, it's one of those things that it just doesn't make sense. Right. Because it's it's kind of boring from a, unless you're a fan of one of those teams. It's kind of boring knowing, hey, my team doesn't isn't going to make it this year. Right. I think this is great because Miami and Texas, what they're doing on the recruiting trail right now, they're getting after it. And that could be a change in the landscape of college football. Now, free agency, roughly 20 percent of college athletes are transferring. Some are doing this to take advantage of NIL money. And that just came out. So they're like, hey. I committed to go play for, let's say, Michigan. Maybe an Alabama booster behind the scenes is calling me up and saying, I'll give you uh, $2 million if you come to school here. I don't know, right? But it just has that feel to it. Some people are spent, you know, some people are spending years at smaller schools, getting that experience, honing their talent, getting bigger, faster, and stronger, and then getting farmed up to the bigger, the bigger super conferences, right? And that that's we've seen that happen a lot, right? And what is you know what is football going to look like in five years? Expanded playoffs, right? I think that's right around the corner. I think all this is pointing towards an expanded playoff system, and that needs to happen because look, right now the average playoff game, the the average margin of victory, is twenty one points. Nobody wants to watch that. I mean, of the games that we've seen played, probably three or four of them were really even great college football games, right? You know, you go back and you look at the games I'm talking about. You're talking about, you know, Alabama and Clemson, the year Deshaun Watson came down and, and went to that last possession and, and hit Hunter Rippro for the score. You're talking about uh, Georgia, Alabama, the couple of, you know, I think they've played in a couple of good games, right? Georgia and Oklahoma, right? They've played in a couple of good games. So to me, it's just about those little things that can make the sport better from an entertainment standpoint, right? Now, Here's the other great part about if you expand the playoffs. Colleges and athletes are going to make more money. It's just, it's going to be a proven fact, right? You know, a school's going to have a lot more eyes on it. It goes to playing a big primetime game. It's going to make more revenue, right? Everybody would win in that situation of an expanded playoff. You're going to have less top athletes sitting out big games, right? So let's say the Cheez-It Poinsettia Bowl or whatever have you ends up becoming a playoff game. Well, you're going to see the primetime stars playing in that, right? You're going to see your Bryce Youngs. You're going to see your your Jordan Addisons, your uh, whoever have you playing in those games. And that's what you want to see. And also, and we talked about this earlier, it's going to help with recruiting. If you know, hey, I can go to Texas and I can go play and, you know, we're going to be a top 16 team or top 24 team or whatever have you. And I've got a shot to go get my name out there in the playoff. I may not look to go to Alabama 
or Ohio State or Georgia or Clemson. I might I may go where I want to go at that point. It's going to help with recruiting because and again, and it goes back to what I was talking about ultimately about if you pay the guys openly, that's going to play a facet in it. But also being able to play for the school you want to play and know you can go play in a big game, it all makes sense, right? Now, I actually have sort of a hot take on here, and we're going to introduce a segment here in a couple of days. It's called Hunt's Hot Takes, right? But we'll get to that later. You know, we'll, we'll get to doing that later on in a different episode. But my hot take for today for you, I think the NCAA actually, I know Congress came down and said, you got to start paying them. I think the NCAA pushed for that behind the scenes, right? They didn't want to be the guy that said, you know, that pissed off the coaches and the conferences and everything like that and said, hey, we're, we're the ones doing this. I think they really behind the scenes were pushing for this because think about it. The NCAA stands to make a ton of money and a lot more money if they can get the teams that have been relevant over the last decade or so out of the spotlight. If they can get the Bamas and the Ohio States and they can sort of Clemson's and they can make it a more exciting matchup. They're going to make more money because they're going to get more uh, views on that, right? So there's some certain things that I think the NCAA is really trying to do. You can call it a conspiracy theory if you want. My big hot take for the day, I think the NCAA was pulling some strings in the backdrop with some of these TV networks in Congress to get to stop Bama from winning the championship every year, right? And I think that this is what we are going to see kind of going forward is we're going to see can Bama sustain or sustain their success they've had uh, going forward. And it's going to be pretty tough with some of the stuff that's kind of come out now uh, in college. Flat Rock Sports presents Cruton Talk. Welcome into today's segment of Cruton Talk. Now, we've got a lot to break down today as we've had a little bit of uh, shuffling around and some signings happen over the last few days. we got a good one, though, so let's get into it. All right, Michigan is going to get the number eight defensive lineman in the country as they signed four-star Enal Etta on the defensive line, okay? He's the number 58 player in the country, and that actually bumps Michigan up to the number 36 class. Okay, they're a little they're underperforming a little bit in recruiting right now, but it's still a long way away before signing day. So we'll see what happens there, right? Now, Michigan, again, it seems like they always are in line to get these these great defensive players. And I don't see why Harbaugh can't get the most out of this uh, out of this guy, right? I think it'll be a pretty interesting one to see. Now, Miami, next up on the list, they get the number nine edge player in four-star Raul Aguirre. Now, Aguirre is the number 121st player in the country, and Miami actually moves into the top 10. They're number seven on the list right now, so they're they're, they're rocking it, right? The, the U might be back because they are getting a hell of a class down there for Mario Cristobal. Bama, they get the number nine quarterback in the class and four-star Dylan Lonergan. Okay, this is their uh, top they're not their top. This is their second quarterback they've signed in this class. So it's interesting to see how that's going to play out. As Lonergan is the number 93 player in the country, and Bama now has a number 12 class, right? They are trying to sort of get back to what they're used to, which is a top five recruiting class. Saban always figures out a way to sort of uh, keep this thing pertinent in Alabama and just keep bringing elite talent in there, right? Let's take a look real quick at some of the more notable recruiting rankings out there, okay? Number one, we've got Ohio State. Not much has changed there. They just took Notre Dame in the last day or two to jump up on that list. And number two, you've got Notre Dame. Number three, Clemson, who we covered yesterday when they when they signed Peter Woods, who's a five-star uh, defensive tackle. 
Number four, Texas, right? We talked about Texas plenty on this show, so you should already know. Probably one of the most surprising teams on this list is number five, and that's Tennessee. Josh Heupel is doing a hell of a job on the recruiting trail right now. And if you want to get back and you want to be relevant, this is what you have to do. Number six, Penn State. James Franklin is doing a hell of a job over there as he's got the number six class. Number seven, we just talked about it, Miami, right? And then number eight, LSU. LSU is sneaking up the boards here. You know, I think they, they've overtaken Georgia and Arkansas right now, and they're having a good class. So hats off over there. At number nine, you've got Georgia. At number 10, you've got Arkansas. Number 11, you've got Oklahoma. And at number 12, Alabama. Here's my thoughts on this. It's still very early on. You've, you've got a long way, like I said before, to signing day. So it's going to be interesting to see, can these teams at the top, can Ohio State, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Texas, and Miami, can they maintain that? Can they get these guys to sign on the dotted line and come play for them? If they can do that, that's great. This is a reshuffling of college football like we've talked about before. If they can't, I'm looking for some surprises here. I'm looking for, not really surprises, but I'm looking for Georgia and Alabama to climb back into this thing and be top five by the end of the year. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out going forward. Flat Rock Sports presents Hunt's Hot Seat. Welcome in to today's segment of Hunt's Hot Seat. Now, I got to do this segment some justice. Yesterday, we talked about Jimbo Fisher, and I know some people have already come at me in the comment section. Listen, here's the thing, right? Here's, here's the reality. I got to talk about somebody who's actually on the, on the hot seat. I figured, why not start all the way at the top of the list? Today's episode, I got Scott Frost at Nebraska, okay? Now, he's on the hot seat because, look, he, he's a guy that the Huskers, they don't want him to fail. They want him to succeed, and he's a guy that you want to root for, right? On paper, he should be he should be leading this team back into national title contention, right? Now, the problem with it is, is they've just been outperformed, right? They've been outperformed. You got to look teams like Washington, UCLA, Utah. They have all had worse uh, recruiting classes than than Scott Frost. Majority of the time, he's been at Nebraska. Yet they've all had way better records, way better production, and just looked a lot better. Right. Speaking of the, the signing classes he's had, he's averaged out to about a top 24 class. Right. He's come in right at about 24 when you go back through and break it down. He's got some talent there. I think the problem is when you're looking at it is how he's managing that talent. Now, one of the things he's, you know, seeming it seems really difficult to do is when you look at teams like Alabama and Georgia, they are able to rotate guys in and out to the point by the time they're seniors or whatever have you or juniors, and they have to step in and play, they've already played a ton of meaningful games. They've already played in a lot. Seems kind of like what happens with Nebraska is they only try to play their top guys, which, hey, I get it, and it makes sense. But here's the problem with it. Those guys are getting gassed out down the stretch by the fourth quarter and so, right? And they're just making too many mental mistakes to the point where they're losing a lot of these one-possession games. I got a, I got a stat right here that tells you everything you need to know. Okay, here's the stat for you. Scott Frost has a record of 15 and 29. More importantly, okay, he actually is 5 and 20 overall in one possession games. And he actually last year set an FBS record with nine single season games lost by one possession. That's what you need to know right there, right? Let's go back and let's take a look and see why would he be on the hot seat though at Nebraska, right? Well, interestingly enough, Nebraska has won five national titles 
uh, over their storied career as a program. Now, three of those actually came in the 90s. It wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, in the 90s. You know, it may seem like forever to some people, but hey, the 90s wasn't that long ago, right? So he, they won three of them in the 90s. They were the team of that decade, right? They have, they've had three Heisman winners, okay? They're a storied program, and they crave, those the fans in Lincoln, they crave success. Scott Frost, unfortunately, hasn't really been able to deliver that. And I think going forward, what we're looking at here, if he struggles this year and fails to win six, seven games, I, th- I find it very hard for Nebraska to justify keeping him. I'll say this. All right. On a scale from one to 10, I'm going to rate his job right now as far as hot seat ratings go. I'm going to rate it a nine. He is feeling the pressure. Okay. He's got to do something. And with that being said, that's actually going to wrap up this episode of the Flat Rock Sports Podcast. Guys, if you don't mind, uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button and comment on the video, right? It goes a long way with us being able to provide daily college football content for you. As always, I'm your host, Christian Hunt, and we'll catch you next time.